hanging out with the Migos one time? Or am I having a... Ric Flair trip, yeah. Yeah. That's a that's an offset. Song. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he hung out with them after that. Yeah. Oh, I have no like, doubt. That song was like the <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you Did really you made it. I don't think I know that song. That's a classic you, chorus. You, yeah, it's <laughs> a classic chorus. Yeah, I, don't think you, I don't think you would. No? no? All right. Uh, whew. Now I want to listen to that. All right, hi. <laughs> anyway. This is Monsteropolis, a show about legends, anomalies, and monsters. I am one of your hosts. What? I was messing with you for 10 minutes. Good. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> See, folks. <laughs> they don't know. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I was like, he was I don't on know. it. I had that Nature Boy energy too. <laughs> yeah, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Oh, Jeez. you d- doesn't know. <sighs> I'm not a fan of hoaxes. <gasps> oh, but you will be after this episode. They didn't hear me, so you're gonna have to do a do. You will do the thing. This is Monsteropolis, a show about legends, anomalies, monsters, and occasionally professional wrestling. Mm. Yep. You heard it here first. <laughs> yes. I'm your host, Mean Gene Matsky. <laughs> <laughs> I am accompanied by the illustrious Heather Mosier. Hello. And we are off to the races today, as you can see. Um, we are missing Seth Breedlove. I don't think we even acknowledged that <laughs> on the last episode. Uh, but we are, and he is way down south. Mm, I mean, Shreveport. by this time, time you see this, it'll all be over. But <laughs> go down all in, of it? <laughs> it's all over. Uh, all. <laughs> but yes, uh, uh Kind of an amazing event down way down south in Shreveport, mm-hmm. Louisiana. Yep. Uh, Bigfoot cinema and so forth. What yeah. like what were the films that were going to be shown at that? Recall Legend of Boggy Creek. I don't know the oh, other ones. Creature from Black Lake. Aha. Uh-huh. And and Skinwalker: Colon Hall of the Ruger. Wow. Now that's a trio of films. That's right. One of them is for sure classic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And uh, Pamela Pierce Barcelou is going to be there, among other. So is Lyle Blackburn. Oh, Lyle, Lyle was going to be there. That's what Seth said. I am oh, wow. going to resist the urge to imitate Mr. Blackburn's voice, but I just know that I. Do it. I, I, I don't could know. I, I, I could have. I can't. Lyle I don't know Lyle's. Yeah. I, I can't. I've heard. I know. Yes. Give that syrupy growl. No, I got it. I don't have it. No, no, no. Yeah. He's got a show. (laughs) Didn't I see somewhere he's got a podcast? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I could could not (laughs) help but notice that in his one of his descriptions, he was like, there's no banter on my show. Okay. Shots fired. Shots Whoa. fired. <laughs> wow. I'm out. I that, don't know. That makes me just want to banter. 
like this is no banter episode of 40, Monstropolis. 45 Woo! minutes of banter. <laughs> but that's that's just me. That's how I am. Hey, did you hear yeah, that latest thing about is, the thing? Yeah. <laughs> All banter episode of Monstropolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Lotus. <laughs> I think Explain more about this, the banter. banter. I will banter about this here oh, DVD. I, I, wait, we got to do that again. I um, didn't get it. Oh, I'm, I'll just still have it. Say it again. I'll banter about this. DVD. Night Visitors. It may be all we have. Yeah, right. <laughs> this may be worth $2,000 right here because it's the only existing copy. But um, <laughs> it's fantastic. I can vouch it's worth copy. that because <laughs> yeah. it's extremely good. Um mm-hmm. What is the, is it San Juan Valley? San Luis Valley. San Luis. San Luis Valley, yes. I'm always we confusing Juan and Luis. That's <laughs> oh. personal drawback. But, um, <laughs> so banter. He is in pro wrestling mode right now is what's happened. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> yeah. I'm thinking back to, oh, never mind. He's a heel. At this point, I, keep yes. going. <laughs> See, my perfect arc would be like the ultimate baby face turn heel. Like, mm. just have this moment where. Mm. Okay, so on the trail of UFOs, night visitors. Mm. Uh, speaking of dark turns. Yep. This one takes sort of a dark turn uh, towards <laughs> things such as abductions and cattle mutilations. And do not watch this alone after dark, unless you want to be freaked out by any light that might appear That's true. on your front lawn or passing by your house. Mm-hmm. And get ideas. Very true. Um, what else about night visitors? I feel like there's something we haven't really talked about with that yet. Well, you mentioned it. It's a gorgeous film. Yeah, yeah, it is. You can mention Sasquatch. What? You can mention Sasquatch this episode. Wait, let me double check. What? Let me double check. Let me double check. Because in the one, yeah, you can mention it because we've talked about it on Bigfoot Society at this point. You can mention Sasquatch. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, folks, I guess I have been given the green light to make a huge announcement. What? Uh, and to do that here on Monstropolis for the first time, Sasquatch is returning in a new format which is sort of an old format brought into the present age, which is to say Andy and I will be leading the charge back into the Bigfoot subject and doing so really concentrating on a couple of different areas. One is sort of unfinished business for us, which is to say going state by state through the United States, digging into Famous and maybe not so famous cases that characterize each state and trying to get to as many researchers as we can. We're out there um, doing the work, doing the field work. We'll bring them on to the show. That's one of the things. In in retrospect, when I look back at Sasquatch and look at our guest lists, it's really incredible to me, like all the people that we talked to who are now um, just and, and were then, but are now staples of the Bigfoot community and uh, publishing books, making documentaries of their own. 
So we want to try and update that to a certain degree, bring people on uh, who are, again, out there in the field actually doing the, the legwork on that. Um, go check out Bigfoot Society. Uh, Andy was on that, making the number, the numero uno big announcement that Sasswood is returning. And so it's, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to it a lot. And watch for that. Um, that will be part of the family, correct? Mm-hmm. It'll be either be this week or next week that it comes out. Wow. When this drops. When wow. this drops, it'll be this week or next week. You don't have to wait. The new <laughs> Sasswet is coming. Yeah. Coming down the pike. <laughs> so watch for that. I am my wait. one of my great hopes is that there will be some Sasswet merch. In the near future, yeah. If only like a sticker would be fine with me. Just a bumper sticker, please. Full sticker. (laughs) Are the crickets returning? That is a question. That's an open question. Oh, okay. (laughs) An open and shut question. Yes. Based on the showrunner, right? If I'm editing it. (laughs) No. And you are so. So no. no. Bring it back for like the first episode. Oh. Oh. Look, acoustic guitar intro, is that coming back? <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. So, mm-hmm. just I mean, the the family of programming continues to grow. Mm-hmm. And we're reaching back into the past to bring you more Sasswet. Nice. So, all bands are monstropolis. Continues. <laughs> <laughs> so, one thing that is inevitable when you start looking into unexplained topics is the subject of hoaxes. Mm -hmm. And we thought it would be fun to talk about some of our, I don't know if you would say favorite hoaxes, but hoaxes of note Mm -hmm. that we think are important to discuss. And even that is sometimes controversial because Mm -hmm. people will insist that something is a hoax or it's not. And some of those are circular conversations, but some of them have been demonstrably proven to be hoaxes, and we'll probably talk about a handful of each of those today. So, Heather, why don't you get us started with a really juicy hoax? Okay. (laughs) Well, before we get into, like, cryptid-type hoaxes, Mm -hmm. one hoax that came across my radar was something that is known as the Carlos hoax. Not cryptid related, but if you're familiar with James Randi, who um, makes it like it's a goal to prove that things are like this kind of thing isn't true. Mm -hmm. He had worked together with this street performer to go to Australia and pretend that he could channel because in the in the late 80s, channeling was a thing that everybody was really getting into, I guess. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this street performer channeled the spirit of Carlos, who's thousands of years old. Um, and apparently lots of people like the, the media picked up on it. Lots of people in the streets and so on. Um, eventually they came out and explained that it was a hoax kind of to prove that one, the media doesn't always do their due diligence mm-hmm. and research because this was literally just a random guy. Um, and two, that the media can also kind of whip us up into a frenzy of believing certain things if we're not also doing 
uh, our own research outside of what's being thrown in our faces. So I thought that one was interesting that that was an intentional hoax. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. well, I guess all hoaxes are intentional, but intentional to prove that we should be more scientifically minded, more analytical about what's in front Mm -hmm. of us. Um, So I guess sort of for a good cause, not like throwing on some boots and making fake footprints and then not telling anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I thought that one was kind of interesting. Yeah, Yeah, at the very end of the show, I have a list that has been generated by Lauren Coleman Mm -hmm. talking about reasons for hoaxing. Mm -hmm. It's really kind of interesting. There's the top 10 reasons that people hoax. Yeah. So I think we'll end with that. Mm -hmm. With the Carlos story, is that, was James Randi the one doing the um, the channeling that no, got the attention? Or he, did he, he enlist like somebody? enlisted someone, a performance artist, or okay. like a, I believe a street performer um, named Jose. And he actually, the, the article that I read, which was a transcription of an interview done a while ago, <clears throat> he said that he kind of pitched this idea to, to do this and then met I don't know if he knew Jose beforehand or not, but he talked with him and he said, I want you to be a channeler. And Jose's like, what's a channeler? And he's like, perfect, you're the guy. (laughs) Um, And then they just had him watch videos of people doing different voices or, you know, supposed Mm. possessions or whatever Mm -hmm. to get into that feel and then go. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, no, he didn't do it himself, but he did hire a guy or enlisted him somehow to do it. Mm So I think we can say with with uh, great certainty that Carlos was a hoax. Hoax. <laughs> Perfect. This will be Good. fantastic. Excellent. That's it, guys. Good That's <laughs> you know, what, what that puts me in mind, and I don't know if you looked at any of this getting ready for today, but the whole sort of spiritualism Mm -hmm. movement where you had sort of a split between those who claimed to, you know, be able to levitate objects and uh, create certain apparitions versus those that were, um, you know, just a little bit of investigation proved that people were pulling strings and doing Mm -hmm. other things to create the illusion. Yeah. It's along the same lines as that. And, mm-hmm. and there, too, there's various motivations for doing that type of hoaxing or uncovering the hoax. Yeah. And some of it does always circle back to people's gullibility and or their their almost desperation to believe that uh, something like that's possible, making contact or what have you. Yeah, there was um, <clears throat> a woman that I, I met in college, my freshman year of college, was a magician, is a magician, um, also a doctor now, but she's a magician. Wow. She's been on TV and stuff, traveled around the world. And mm-hmm. she was on, I'm not going to remember the name of the show, but it was a reality show where magicians from around the country came and performed and it, you know they would get eliminated each week or whatever. Mm-hmm. She came in second. But Chris Angel, Uri Geller, and I forget somebody, I think there was a third judge. Anyway, they were the judges. Oh, wow. And <clears throat> I specifically remember on one of the episodes someone who was eliminated, I think fairly early, their act involved uh, contacting the other side. 
And I feel like it was Chris Angel. I can't remember for sure, but I think it was Chris Angel that just got livid about it, about this guy saying that he could. And he was like, you can't. That's not a thing. You cannot do that. I feel like that was Chris. Wow. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you will. But Um, and then he yeah, ascended the judge. Yeah, the judge. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. One, yeah, <laughs> one of the judges was just livid about it. He's, he's like, this is not you don't play around with that kind of That's stuff. Wild. That's not something you can do. It's not fair. It hmm. doesn't belong in this uh, in this world of magic. So I don't know. You remember that mask magician show? Yes, I do. Where they were doing all the revealing everything. Yeah. I didn't want to know. I don't want to know how mm-hmm. it's done. Don't take the magic away. Yeah. But yes, I remember that. And uh, do we know who did that? No, I don't. I, did they ever, did somebody ever come forward? I think they did. I think that was something that That's kind did of, ultimately get revealed, but I forget. You kind of got to decide you're done with your career at that point as sure. a magician, right? Sure. I mean, who's going to. In the community anyway, yeah. they'd probably like out with you. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Maybe. I don't know. For your reality television 15 minutes of fame yeah anyway yeah so did you want to talk about gladiators and pro wrestlers sure (laughs) of course i do so what is this book that you brought first uh, of all this book i got from a local (laughs) library it's called hoax a history of deception by ian tattersall and peter nevramont Mm -hmm. five thousand years of fakes forgeries and fallacies and so it just has it's i like it It, it's not you know it's an overview so you don't get huge detail on any one topic but this does take it sort of goes chronologically from old to new so this is they're saying approximately 260 bc Mm -hmm. um that uh, the next time you stand in rome's mighty Colosseum, trying to imagine the cheering jeering frenzied crowd I just conjure up the Astrodome on a night when it's been rented by World Wrestling Entertainment, and the two forms of diversion have even more in common than might appear at first sight. And so what it goes on to suggest, and uh, it turns out, I had no doubt that you knew something <coughs> about this, but that the, the whole idea of the gladiators always just having this duel to the death mm-hmm. is really not accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get into that a little bit. And with the idea here, when they bring in pro wrestling too, obviously we know unless there's a serious accident, people aren't dying during pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like predetermined wins or losses <clears throat> still doesn't negate the fact that these people are athletes. I just want to throw that out there. They're still putting their bodies through mm-hmm. horrible things. Um, look at any wrestler who's older now, and they're not walking very well. I mean, they're not. Sure. They're not okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like the same level as a professional football player. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're giving up their bodies mm-hmm. for, for our entertainment. Yeah. So calm down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, but as far as like gladiators go, so the typical day at the arena, if you were in ancient Rome and you were going to the Colosseum or, or the Flavian Amphitheater, if you'd rather, um, any of these amphitheaters, and it was a day at the games. It would start off with, in the morning, there would be the beast hunts or uh, animal tricks, I guess, if it was a lame time. But normally the beast hunts, <laughs> they would bring, they would bring animals That's in from... PG show. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> they would bring animals in from around... This is actually how some species they uh, hypothesize went extinct 
for Ooh. from these games because wow. they bring in so many animals um, <clears throat> from Africa or mm -hmm. different parts of Europe, Asia, whatever. Bring them in. They would be hunted and killed or perform tricks. Um, so that's your morning. Then lunchtime. <laughs> lunchtime show was the execution. There were um, three main ways to execute. Of course, they could get creative, but uh, there was the ad crucum, which is to the cross. Mm -hmm. There was ad ignum to the fire, ad bestias, which was to the beasts. Mm -hmm. Those are all criminals. They would die, or if they didn't die immediately, I mean, because it was so many, you know, a time slot. If they didn't die in that time slot, then they would just take them out and kill them elsewhere. Um, the gladiators were the evening spectacle. That was the, the big draw. Gladiators did not fight to the death. It's not saying, I'm not saying that there might've been times where there was an accident because they did have real weapons. And I'm not saying that we didn't have some emperors at times who may have had more bloodlust than they should have and maybe not have cared so much. But you rented these gladiators, you paid for them to be in your show. There were gladiator trainers who put extensive time and money into these gladiators. They were not a very expendable item. Mm. Um, and there were specific gladiators that paired up with other gladiators. You didn't just throw random ones. They they were tailored to each other. Like, uh, and I'm gonna forget just because I'm I should remember right now. I'm gonna forget the names of the different ones. But like Thrax and Mermillo would be with each other. But there was. The guy that has the trident and the net. I cannot remember his name. He's he's my favorite, though. He's fun. Um, he has very little armor. He has a trident and a net. He would go against somebody who was more heavily armored. That was mm. on purpose. But anyway, they were trained how to fight. They knew how to do all of this. Um, but it's fun in Hollywood to say that gladiators fought to the death or that we just threw a random prisoner in and I say we, I say we because I'm a classicist and this is what I studied mm -hmm. forever. So that it's like my people um, saying that we just grabbed a random prisoner of war, threw them in armor and put them out to fight a gladiator. Mm -hmm. That's not what, that's not what happened. Oh. Um, so sorry, Hollywood gladiators did not kill each other like that. That would be a hoax. 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 Boom. <laughs> we put that to rest. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was interesting. I, I know that we already hoaxed it, but it just says uh, A-list gladiators were obviously far from expendable. Mm -hmm. Aside from the fact they were martial artists, expensive to train, the reputations of famous gladiators were hugely valuable to sponsors, <laughs> governmental, and aristocratic alike. Yeah, okay, so that's all true. What this just reminded me of was, uh, <clears throat> so Vesuvius erupted way back when i don't know if you guys knew this back but in the day back in the day it erupted pompeii <laughs> herculaneum done for mm -hmm. because pompeii was covered in ash and like buried in it it's an excellent it, it preserved the city intact at that point in time which was 69 a.d when vesuvius erupted anyway because of how well preserved it was, we can see not only some paintings that are still on the walls, but you can see graffiti as well. Hmm. And in Pompeii, there's graffiti about these gladiators. They were actual, like, they were sex symbols, just like professional wrestlers mm -hmm. are today. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are there's graffiti on the wall about 
how well endowed this particular gladiator <laughs> is and how my wife likes this guy or, you know, whatever it that, I mean, they were crude then too. Mm. And it's, um, but that's what that reminded me of when you're like, yeah, to aristocrats. Yeah. And to women as well. The, uh, the gladiators were quite a fun thing to watch, but yeah. So throwing that in there. I Excellent. just got excited cause I remember. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ancient graffiti, not a hoax. No, it happened. It, it, it happened and it still happens to this day. People still do graffiti everywhere, even on yes. the ancient sites, actually quit doing that because in Pompeii more and more stuff gets shut down every year because people take things or they write on walls or whatever. Um, and so they keep closing more of it down to the public because people take bits of the yeah. paint away or a piece of piece of rock. Why would you do that? I don't do that to ancient stuff, to be fair. Oh, yes. I wouldn't do that to ancient stuff. It's different than a cave. True story. On the way down here today, I saw a truck that had graffiti on the side. And it's this is a verbatim quote. Aw, heck, what's that about? A big white truck that was painted on the side. There you go. So, yeah. got a hoax? Mm -hmm. what, what you got there for us? Okay, so another hoax that came up in my reading, which, by the way, was from this book. Ooh, yes. I grabbed this book. It is Skeptics wrote it, just the, uh, which is where you'd want to go for a lot of hoaxes anyway because they're going to point them out and with very biting detail, but abominable science. Um, so there was the discussion of that famous photo of Nessie. If somebody were to say something about Nessie, there's always this image that pops in your head, mm -hmm. which apparently is called the surgeon's photo. At least that's how they reference it in here. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I never knew it had, is that what it is? That is what it is. I just knew it was Nessie. It's a Nessie photo. Um, yeah, so that one is a hoax. <laughs> Okay, oh. that's that. You went right to <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I don't know if that's a spoiler alert, if it's on this episode. Uh, but <clears throat> yeah, so Surgeon's photo, uh, the famous Nessie photo, apparently the Weatherell family hoaxed this. And one of them came forward in 1975. It was confessed, but it wasn't widely covered until years later, I think like the 90s, finally somebody said, well, you know that they already admitted that they hoaxed this. Uh, by that point, the person who admitted it was dead. But um, I guess there's an article somewhere. I didn't do like a deep dive on this. But um, yeah, oh, page 146. <laughs> there's my deep dive. There it is. I wrote it down so I could just read it to you. Um, comes the dive. Yeah, here we go. In 1975, the Sunday Telegraph printed a short article in which Ian Weatherell a 63-year-old son of Nessie Hippofoot hoaxer Marmaduke Wetherill revealed that the surgeon's photograph was actually another Wetherill family hoax hmm. created by using a small model monster built around a toy submarine. Quote, so my father said, all right, we'll give them their monster. Hmm. I remember that we drove up to Scotland. I had the camera, which was a Leica. I don't know that word. And still rather a novelty then. We found an inlet where the tiny ripples would look like full-size waves out of the lock. And with the actual scenery in the background, I took about five shots with the Leica. And that was that. End quote. Hmm. Um, so then Marmaduke Weatherell handed off the film to Maurice Chambers, a collaborator who passed it to Wilson, who submitted it to the newspaper. And boom, history's made. 
And then Ian Wetherill publicly confessed in, well, that was 75. And in 1990, Adrian Shine dug out the forgotten article and set researchers David Martin and Alastair Boyd on the trail. But by this time, Marmaduke and Ian were dead. Um, but it did lead them to Marmaduke's stepson, an elderly gentleman named Christian Sperling, and he confirmed the claim. It's not a genuine photograph. It's a load of cod swallop and always has been. Cog swallops? Cog swallop? Cod swallop. Cod swallop. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? We need, to, we need to bring that back. <laughs> oh, we're going to double dunk on Nessie, huh? <laughs> that was a hoax. Did you just turn it toward the camera? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying new things. <laughs> <laughs> this is the all banter episode. You know, it yeah. is. I wish that they would have been able to produce either the model or mm. a picture of the model out of the water. I don't yeah. know that either of those exists. Yeah. that's And that's the thing is with any of these hoaxers who've come forward, mm-hmm. it would be nice for any of them to have the... Like if that would add more credence to it, because just like you said at the end, we're going to talk about the advantages, I guess, or reasons behind hoaxing. Reason, right. There's also an advantage to saying, yeah, that was the hoaxer. I did it. Mm-hmm. You're still going to get your 15 minutes of fame mm-hmm. out of that. Right. Um, so I don't know. Listen, I'm just going by the abominable <laughs> science book. They said it's a hoax and I'll yeah. go with them on that until you guys in YouTube comments tell me otherwise. <laughs> what I had never heard is in that quotation that they were careful about the background. Mm. Because when you look at that photo, as it's reproduced in all of the unexplained books and so forth, it's just the water Mm -hmm. and the figure, like the Nessie head sticking out or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And um, so it makes me wonder what the full photo actually looked like. If there was more in terms of the background, like land or the the Mm. famous castle that's there. And if that would have, if you look at the whole image, if that would have been really obvious. Yeah, like as far as scale goes, mm-hmm. you've been able to see. Maybe, but yeah. you know what? Nessie has to have babies too. So if it were small. Oh, a little Nessie. A baby Nessie. Coming to the surface. Yeah. Looking around. Just exploring <laughs> its world. You don't know. I'm real. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm real. <laughs> Believe in me, please. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm really glad you did that one because it puts me in mind of Ray Wallace which is another example of a famous, famous cryptid. And in this case, you know, the all of the Bluff Creek, Bigfoot reports, Jerry Crew of the late 1950s. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when Ray Wallace passed away, um, it came out in the news that he, quote unquote, confessed to having made these wooden feet, ran all around Northern California, and that he was responsible for all of those famous Bigfoot prints that you see in the books, you know, like uh, Roger Patterson with his foot up next to the cast mm-hmm. and Jerry Cruz standing by um, Bob Titmus, the very famous caster and, and hunter. And so it just, as that was reported, you know, the headline was always Bigfoot is a hoax you know, the conclusive proof that the yeah. Bigfoot story is over, you know, mm-hmm. Bigfoot is dead. That yeah. that was a typical headline because they were conflating Ray Wallace's confession with one singular yeah. Bigfoot figure and that the fact that Wallace had 
evidently done this. He was able to produce these wooden yeah. trompers or whatever mm-hmm. you would call them that he ran around in. Um, that that meant we have now definitively put the Bigfoot story to bed. And uh, just a, a careful you know examination of some of those tracks that were found put that to the lie. I mean, mm-hmm. that not all of them could have been made from those tracks right. or from those um, those molds. Right. So it was really a weird time in mm-hmm. Bigfootery because on one hand, it was a huge splash and it was like evening news, major newspapers carrying the story, mm-hmm. but carrying it in order to say that it's done. Right. It's all over. You can go on with your lives knowing that this one singular Bigfoot figure uh, never existed. When? What year was this? I want to say it was around the turn of the century, like around the year 2000, but I'm not, I don't remember exactly when. Because it's still, I mean, to this day, even when we're out filming something like Bigfoot Project and we come across something, we will, to ourselves, I mean, which this is good research anyway, I guess, but I feel like a large part of it is also because of the hoaxes that have happened, we'll go through all of these possibilities, like, would it make sense for somebody to be out here? Would they have known that we would be out here? Or some of these really isolated things, if there's a footprint 20 miles in the middle of the mm-hmm. woods and there's no one living back there and it's a bare footprint, like, would that be a human trying to hoax? What, what would be the purpose of that? And um, But I, I think a lot of researchers now go into the details of everything they find probably in more, like, more excruciating detail than they would have before Mm -hmm. specifically because of the prevalency of hoaxes right yeah that puts me in mind of you know the yeti show that we recently did with Mm -hmm. finding foot footprint tracks on a glacier somewhere Mm -hmm. you know that's one thing like in the bossberg story Mm -hmm. in washington finding you know a line of tracks by the local dump Uh, but this is on a glacier out in you know some way out in Tibet somewhere or Nepal and mm-hmm. that's that's a little different story so yeah. that, these are the things that I you're right I think there's more careful attention paid to trying to authenticate what you find in the moment yeah and there are even people that are <clears throat> it doesn't really matter how thoroughly you would look into things they're going to say it's all a hoax anyway mm-hmm. um so for in this book, not saying that that's what these people are like, the authors are like completely, but they were going through the Yeti footprints since you brought mm-hmm, up the Yeti. Mm-hmm, yeah. And um, in it, discussing people who have evaluated the different photographs, like the famous one with the pickaxe next to it and so on. Mm-hmm. And that there is a train of thought that <clears throat> those were faked, but it was faked by one of the guys in the expedition crew. Mm. So... Um, because it was uh, Shipton and Ward were the names that came up and they yeah. were saying, uh, that Shipton and often referred to as the Shipton photograph. Yeah, yeah. They're saying that Shipton is the one, at least the, the section in this book that they were discussing that Shipton is the one who faked it. Oh. And that particular photo had been like, he had altered it before he brought attention over and Ward was there. Ward saw it. So years later, people are accusing, this of being fake and Ward saying I'm not. So they were saying that Ward didn't have to know that it was fake. He might not have been involved at all. It mm-hmm. could have been shipped in that, which is hard to, I mean, you can't 
you can't prove any of that anyway. Right. But yeah. it's still, <clears throat> no matter what, it's fake. And if it wasn't you, then it was your partner who did it. I mean, like, mm -hmm. there's no way around that if you're really wanting to find, um, find holes and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But yeah, so the Yeti footprint, maybe, guys, maybe, maybe a hoax. Maybe a hoax. We need a maybe hoax. Maybe? <laughs> but uh then the only other one i have on here well, i guess not the only other one because we act to nessie that frank searle the um had apparently a string of photos of nessie which in itself is suspicious that you would have multiple great photos of messy mm -hmm. let alone just one and uh, i guess that came out that they were parts of a painted sauropod dinosaur cut from a postcard Really? Yeah. That's what abominable science says. Okay. Not me. Abominable <laughs> science says. Um, but yeah, the, so then the other one, getting out of Nessie, is the Minnesota yeah. Iceman. Ooh. And in this argument, what they're saying is that scientists are not, often we hear in the community that scientists are unwilling to look into things like Bigfoot or Yeti or Nessie or whatever, any type of cryptid. Their argument is that's not necessarily so. So in the Minnesota Iceman case, we had what was a like a Bigfoot-like creature that had been exhumed. The carcass was exhumed in an ice and had been on display. And there were two scientists that wanted to examine it. And they were told by the exhibitor at, at, when they first approached, oh, well, that's just a model of the carcass. That's not the real one. Okay, well, can we see the real one? And then every they just keep backpedaling. And all of a sudden, there is no carcass. And so at that point is when they stepped back from believing that it was true. But at first, I guess, they were really excited about it. Like, yeah, let's see it. Let's dive into mm -hmm. it. Let's prove it. And, of course, the other thing that they throw out here is, like, Jeffrey Meldrum, Dr. Meldrum, is very open about his thoughts on things. So they're like, see, there are scientists who are willing to say that this is a possibility. So don't say all scientists are naysayers because that's not necessarily the truth. Um, but, yeah, the uh, Minnesota Iceman hoax. Half hoax. Half. I'm going to call that a half hoax. Half hoax. Yeah. Yeah, because the scientists that you mentioned were um, Bernard Heuvelmans was one who invented the term cryptozoology, and the other was Ivan T. Sanderson. Mm -hmm. And they were convinced that what they were looking at was a biological reality. They even reported a smell mm -hmm. coming from the first thing that they looked at. Yeah. So it's led to all kinds of speculation about, mm -hmm. as you said, is it, were they looking at a... Uh, uh, like a wax figure or whatever the first time. And right. they're just so excited about what they were experiencing that they convinced themselves that that was real or was it real? Mm -hmm. And then it gets into the uh, sort of the veracity of the Hansen character who claimed to own mm -hmm. the figure. It's fascinating. It really is an incredible story. Um, which leads me to... Another Bigfoot hoax, mm -hmm. and this is uh, the very famous Georgia hoax mm. of 2008. Is that the freezer? Yeah, that <laughs> is the freezer. <laughs> and I want to get these details right, so I'm going to stick pretty closely to the text. In August of 2008, two residents of the state of Georgia, Matthew Witten and Rick Dyer, respectively a sheriff's deputy and a used car dealer, but both also co-owners of a company, set up to take tourists on Bigfoot-seeking expeditions. 
reported finding the body of a dead Bigfoot in the northern forests of their home state. At a press conference in California, Witten told a room packed with enthralled print and TV reporters how the pair had encountered the deceased Bigfoot on the banks of a stream deep in the woods. He had then stood guard over the body for several hours while Dyer went to fetch a truck. Then the real drama started. As the two men dragged the massive corpse through the trees to the vehicle, three live and doubtless angry Sasquatch showed up, dogging their tracks all the way to the truck. This must have been a very alarming experience indeed, for, as Witten and Dyer described the body, their male, uh, their Bigfoot, a male, was seven feet seven inches tall, weighed 500 pounds, its hands were almost a foot long, feet considerably larger, uh, walking upright, those enormous pursuing Sasquatch must have, must have towered frighteningly over the two men in their heavy load. Yet in the end, the pair managed to heave the body into the wagon and whisk it away to be frozen. The story made headlines and was ubiquitous on national TV, although all that Witten and Dyer and their associate, Tom Biscardi, produced at the press conference by way of material evidence were some indistinct photos and vague talk of DNA. Indeed, one observer at the conference expressed deep disappointment with the finder's presentation, and particularly with the absence of the Bigfoot cadaver itself. Still, Biscardi also noted how the press was lapping it all up. No tough questions, no demands to see the body. Everyone, it seemed, wanted this to be true. But it couldn't last. After the initial heady rush, reason intervened. A DNA sample proved to be a mixture of human and opossum. When the body finally appeared, it was thought out by Bigfoot experts at the BFRO, it proved to be a rubber ape suit with artificial hair. In short order, it was revealed that the entire episode had been fabricated. But why? What did the three men have to gain except most fleeting and fame, followed by derision outside the Bigfoot community and excoriation within it? It appears that the most immediate aim, especially in Biscardi's case, was to attract more of the Bigfoot tourist business from which the BFRO had been doing extremely well. Hype surrounding the press conference he hoped would establish him as the world's premier Bigfoot hunter, the guide to whom tourists seeking to see Bigfoot for themselves would inevitably turn. Wow. So that gets in there in the end portion of that to reasons yeah. why. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, I just wanted to real quickly go through Lauren Coleman's top 10 reasons for cryptozoology hoaxes mm -hmm. from the Crypto Zoo News blog. Hmm. Uh, number one, fiscal gain. Uh, allegedly, the reason behind a hoaxer's coast-to-coast AM radio appearances was so the guest broadcast claims of a captured Bigfoot video he said was going to post online would encourage subscribers to pay a fee to see it. In the case of the Georgia hoax, which we just referenced, allegedly $50,000 was acquired. Two, 15 minutes of fame. And here referencing the late Ivan Marks, the late Ray Wallace, the Georgia hoaxers, other members of the hoaxing fraternity appear to have a psychological need for media attention, resulting in a temporary sense of celebrity. Okay, all right. um, the late Mark Chorvinsky told Seattle Times reporter Bob Young in 2002, when asked to reply to Dr. Meldrum's dismissal of the Ray Wallace hoaxes, Jeff Meldrum is not an expert in creating hoaxes. I was a professional magician and special effects film director. Anything can be faked. That sounds like Santino Vitale talking. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Number three, pranks. 
Um, Halloween-style practical jokes that go overboard and become local legends. Yes. For spreading misinformation. And Coleman writes that when he was doing research for cryptozoology A to Z, an individual attempted to create an online history of sightings about the so-called Ozark Howler, so I would write an entry on them in my forthcoming book. The deception was discovered, and not one paragraph exists therein on this fake cryptid. Number five, vandalism. Some hoaxing appears to be mischief performed for psychological reasons only known to the creator to cause disruptions for disruption's sake. Number six, venting of anger or revenge targeting a specific group or individual. Few manufactured events are private personalized incidents that may get incidental local or national media attention. So revenge, in mm-hmm. other words. Yeah. Seven, private exchanges gone bad relating to pra- bragging, hoaxing, <laughs> and pranks that spreads beyond a small circle of friends and foes, <laughs> such as faking some of the big footprints in the Pacific Northwest by the late Ray Wallace and the late Rant Mullins, who claimed to be in a quote-unquote liars club. I can see something getting out of hand, and then everybody has to cover it up because yeah. they're afraid. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Uh, eight misrepresented jokes. These are funny gags misunderstood by others, botched as discussing reality discovered to be fiction, and thus have been labeled a hoax perhaps inappropriately. A nine, discrediting a company or an individual... These appear to be different than number six above as public media factors built into the hoax and 10 political reasons. And there he references the famous um, Deloitte's photograph. That is this well-known. What Coleman writes about that is um, the racism behind photographs of spider monkeys taken by Francois Deloitte in 1920 in Venezuela have been passed off as unknown apes. The hoax was to support the eugenics theories of George Montadon, who was looking for an anthropoid precursor for the native South Americans, just as he had said Africans evolved from gorillas and Asians from orangutans. His theories were linked to the same ideas the Nazis used against the Jewish, Roma people, and other populations during the Holocaust. That's sort of a wow, that's great. super dark turn there yeah. at the end. Uh, but those Thanks, are, Mark. You're welcome. <laughs> it's my specialty. Making sure things are uh, dark and dim. Just like night visitors, guys. Just like night visitors, <laughs> except better. So yeah, hoaxes. Um, many reasons to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them sketchy at best mm-hmm. and a downright sinister at the worst. So if you have any hoaxes that you hoped we were going to talk about but missed, feel free to drop a comment in there or write us at monstropolismail at gmail.com and find us on all the socials and get ready for the return of Sasswat coming soon.